Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, kia ora, good morning and welcome in on Hump Day, Wednesday. It is Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Ricardo Ball in with you. Smithy is away until uh, well, next year, but but he is with us today at 11.30. So we're going to hear from Smithy uh, and get his update from Perth and uh, where, where he was calling and now Adelaide where the next test is starting tomorrow. We'll get a preview of that, get his thought on Baz Ball as well and talk a few other things. If you've got any questions you want me to hit Smithy with, uh, then send them through, Double eight, double three, double eight, double three. We'll uh, be collating those throughout the morning and we'll hit Smithy with your questions when we get them on. Uh, that uh, is going to be around 11.30. Before then, though, uh, we are going to be talking rugby out of the UK, particularly with uh, Joe Harvey, a uh, rugby journalist uh, from there. He's going to join us uh, very soon. Uh, we're also going to catch up with Phil Burrows, the incoming Blacksticks women's head coach. He takes over in the new year um, from interim coach Darren Smith. We've also got a panel with Andrew Gordy and Graham Beasley. We'll be talking international rugby, the FIFA World Cup cricket and the breakers as well. And uh, around uh, 11 o'clock, uh, we are going to be talking uh, football, the FIFA World Cup, with Swiss football journalist Marco Keller. He is going to join us, of course, Switzerland, uh, currently uh, in the middle of a game against uh, Portugal to make the quarterfinals. They are 2-0 down, though, so all to do for the Swiss team against the Portuguese, where the big story is, no Cristiano Ronaldo. He has been benched. With just 10 months to go until Rugby World Cup 2023 kicks off, the Welsh have wound up the coaching merry-go-round and the knock-on effects of that could be felt here by the NZR more than anywhere else. When Wayne Pivak was relieved of his duties as the coach of Wales, it was entirely predictable. A record that including losing to Georgia, Italy and an understrength Wallaby side at the Millennium Stadium in the last 10 months was always going to end one way. End of stage left, Warren Gatland, PVAC's predecessor, released from his contract at the Chiefs to resume a role that the Welsh Union should probably never have taken away from him. So far, so good, unless you're running English rugby. It had been widely speculated that Gatland was a serious contender for the England job off the back of his Lions records, and by pulling the trigger early, the Welsh Union left England in an unenviable position. They also had an underperforming coach in Eddie Jones with just five wins in his last 12 matches and whispers that he had lost the dressing room. Gatlin taking the Wales job left them with one less option and most English commentators on the game over there think Steve Borthwick is a step backwards, a one-dimensional coach using outdated tactics. So where to for England? This is where things get interesting for the rugby union here. At the end of the last Rugby World Cup, they found themselves with a lack of options, much like England are now. Dave Rennie, Tony Brown, Jamie Joseph and other options were already spoken for. Can they risk being placed in the same position again, especially now that leading candidate Scott Robertson is being flirted with by the powers that be at Twickenham, and if Georgia Robinson of the Sydney Morning Herald is to be believed, the Australian Rugby Union? Mark Robinson and the board of NZR need to make a decision now on who takes the All Blacks from 2024. Announce it and let everyone get on with their jobs, or they could be dining on leftovers again.
This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brand, your local John Deere equipment supplier, and joining us out of the UK to talk the English rugby coach situation is freelance sports journo Joe Harvey. G'day, Joe. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Hey, listen, thanks very much for giving us some time and talking to us. Uh, what is the feeling amongst the rugby public over in England about the axing of Eddie Jones 10 months out from the Rugby World Cup? Well, it's quite interesting because it felt like last week, you know, the consensus was a lot more for moving Eddie on. I mean, today what I've kind of noticed is as the day's worn on, people have gone, oh, England don't deserve nice things because Eddie did have like a 70, I think it was 73% winning record from his time as England head coach, you know, 81 tests, 59 wins, 20 losses and two draws. It's not a bad, you know, it's obviously not a bad record. Um so it's quite an interesting one. Some people seem to think, you know, it was only 10 months more to see what happens because Eddie had been so kind of proactive about saying, I've got a plan to win the World Cup. Actually, that was the, the last line, you know, from a piece with Eddie that I did off the back of that All Blacks, um, and sorry, not the All Blacks defeat, the Springboks defeat um, at Twickenham where it ended with people booing the team off the field. So it's kind of, it's a weird place to be, but my my internal feeling and, and of you know, quite a few people that I know is that it was time to move on. So it's quite an odd, it's quite an odd place to be. Do you think that they should have pulled the trigger uh, earlier, maybe after the last Six Nations? Because I mean, he hasn't had a great uh, couple of last Six Nations, and he's lost the Calcutta Cup back to back years. Um, it's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, like my personal opinion would have been that the best time to to kind of move on and rebuild would have been post, you know, two thousand and nineteen Rugby World Cup. I know that sounds like a really silly thing to say because you know he signed a contract extension before then to take him to at least 2021 um it's i don't know i mean like international coaches there's there's a question out there maybe should they even get the four-year deals because players don't get four-year deals generally anywhere um as it is um and and building for a cycle is something that we talk about so much but how much does it actually equate when you know, performances will dip and go up and down. Because if it was a player, you'd just move on, wouldn't you? You'd just find someone new in that position. But with with coaches, you have this thing of, you know, it, it carries on. I mean, this is obviously the, the changes in professionalism that we're seeing on a, on a yearly basis that we start talking about these things. But my personal opinion would have been move them on a bit sooner. Um, because, you know, Eddie said this himself when he was appointed in 2016, that he stayed too long in Australia. And now it's got to that point again where he stayed too long. People aren't particularly thrilled with him and it's just built up to this point that the RFU have had to turn around and say we don't see the positives especially as you say coming out of the Six Nations where they won you know two or five games third place in the table yes Ireland and France were absolutely fantastic but you know England was so far off the pace and it didn't really get any better and obviously this autumn was was fairly catastrophic. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it wasn't a great autumn, was it? I mean, I, that All Blacks game, I think, felt like a victory for England, didn't it? Because it certainly felt like a defeat back here for the All Blacks. Uh, and I did wonder whether or not that might save him. Um, but then the, the Springboks uh, performance was just was was just absolutely dire. I guess the question is, where to for here, uh, from here for England? I mean, was Warren Gatlin a serious contender in your opinion? I know he'd been talked about post a uh, couple of his Lions performances as a coach. Was he somebody that you think... Uh, if Wales hadn't gone so early, might have been in contention? Um, potentially, yeah. I mean, it's one of those. I mean, I think Warren, and I don't want to speak for him, I don't. I obviously don't know the man at all really that well. Um, I, I think his heart was always with Wales. 
personally. I mean, he was there for so long. Uh, it, it's also, it's, maybe that's the part of the thing in my head where I'm like, I actually couldn't imagine Warren with a red rose on his on his jacket or anything like that. I don't know if that's part of it as well. But no, I, I, I and also it was so sudden, wasn't it? The chat about Warren taking on the England job just came up for like two or three days and then suddenly died off again, possibly when Wales got in contact and said, actually, we are thinking about moving Wayne Pivak on and we, have, we would like you to come in. Um, I think I think I think Warren would have loved to have given it a go, but obviously he knows Wales so well, and he wouldn't have to go back to relearning lots of things when it came to England. I mean, last time he coached in England with Wasps was, oh god, it was years ago, wasn't it? Mm. Um, so you know he'd be having to relearn a whole new thing, and obviously Wasps now as an entity don't exist either, and neither do Worcester Warriors. So he'd, he'd have to be you know be learning on the fly for ten months for for nine games essentially. Um, I mean, I think. The, the far more credible one and the one that a lot of people um, in the English rugby media would be quite keen on is Scott Robertson. Um, and I, and I, I met him a couple of times when he was here doing the barbarian stuff. And, and I, I can see why he's, a, you know, he's a magnetic personality. Um, but I mean, for all the will in the world, it does seem as though it's going to be Leicester Tigers head coach, Steve Borthwick. What's your feeling on that? Because I had Martin Gillingham on the show on Monday and he his take on it was it's a step backwards. Uh, we need an international coach. Borthwick's one-dimensional. Um, the thing is, I don't necessarily disagree with Martin, but then when you actually look at what he did at Leicester, which was a club that was in such a spiral in such a short space of time, it does it does speak volumes about what it is. And Steve, in my opinion is more of a modern day coach than, than Eddie was. Eddie came, comes from that kind of, you know, nineties, early noughties kind of background where the head coach did a bit of everything. If that makes sense, like the head coach would, would be on the field and a lot more involved. Whereas now the head coach is, is kind of directing more things and has that more overarching role and, and maybe concentrates more on environment and things like that. Don't get me wrong. I know for a fact, Steve is still getting up on ladders to do line outs and things like that. And and that's obviously quite one-dimensional in itself. But, I mean, a former lock forward who loves line-outs, it, we've, we've heard that one before, haven't we? Um, and but I, I, I just love what he's done at Leicester. And for me, if he can bring even a small bit of that, whether that's bringing across some of the coaches or or something like that, that would elevate the England setup, I, I think he'd do a brilliant job. Um you know, he's got Kevin Sinfield, the former rugby league great, um, who, you know, is an absolute legend in this country for the money for, for the money he's raised for for research into MND. Like, I mean, the man will do a game with Leicester Tigers and then go run a marathon like the next day. And I've I've seen him running to get a train after a game at Welford Road to go do marathons. And, you know, he brings with him a lot of culture from his times with Leeds, Leeds Rhinos where they ruled the roost in rugby league in this country. And then he's also got Richard Wigglesworth, a fantastic scrum half for England over the years, who is still, you know, a player coach. I think he's like 38, 39. Um, brilliant coaching mind. And then on top of that, he could bring in Alec Waters, the head of performance, who was involved with the Springboks when he won, you know, when they won a World Cup. So he can bring those things and then everything else outside of that just kind of gets guided towards it. Um, but it's one of those, isn't it? If England were to go to this bruising kind of line-out driven style, it's not a million miles away from what, you know, test rugby is these days anyway, in my opinion. Mm. Um, and then you add on the fact that he'd be able to choose a lot more players and, and kind of really make his own style of play quite concise to the test match arena. 
I think I, I I think England could be onto a winner, but obviously it's like you say, he he doesn't he doesn't really have that level of experience apart from you know being an assistant coach with Eddie with Japan and England. Yeah, I mean, it's from an English point of view, I, I guess Borthwick can make sense in that he knows the players, he knows the system, right? Uh, bringing somebody like Robertson in now who, who maybe doesn't know the players so much with only 10 months to go might be a bit more of a risk. But, but I mean, um, is, there some, is there any thought that this might be a short-term appointment to the World Cup and then England regroup and figure out where, what direction they want to go in next? Or if they make this appointment, it's going to have to be through to 2027? I think if, if Borthwick was appointed, it'd have to be through to 2027 because he, when he was first appointed at Leicester, and I remember this because it was in the, you know, it was in the midst of COVID and we were on Zoom calls and, and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd always say to him, if another job came up and, and, you know, as soon as, I think it was in 2021 when England had a relatively poor Six Nations, the question was put to him and it said, you know, if England came calling, would you want to go? And he said, no, I'm, into, I'm, I'm here for a project at Leicester. And obviously now they've won a premiership title, maybe that kind of thinking's changed a bit. Um, and I think he wants to be involved with the project. And he's, you know, he's proven it in the premiership, don't get me wrong, test match level is a complete different animal. Um, if you end up with a Web Ellis, maybe, if you end up, you know, with a Web Ellis, maybe it's not as hard as it looks. But, um, you know, he, I, I genuinely think he's got all the capabilities to, to do it and potentially take England to Australia uh, in 2027 as well. It's going to be uh, an interesting call what they do because I would have thought that once they pulled the trigger on Eddie Jones that Borthwick was announced immediately but it seems like they're they're having a think so do they have options? What do you think those options are? I know down here people are saying Scott Robertson's got a contract you know with the Crusaders for another season but I mean when you've got the deep pockets of the rugby union I don't think uh, buying Scott Robertson out of the con- out of his contract is out of the realms of possibility. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. Obviously, like with 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 Warren Gatland and Pivac, it was it was quite instantaneous, wasn't it? It was like you know Wayne's moved on, we've gone straight for Warren. Um, so for England, by all accounts from reporting that I've seen today in the Telegraph, the RFU did make contact with Leicester Tigers in order to negotiate terms for for Steve's release. Um, apparently, Tigers were also preparing for for other coaches to be approached by the RFU as well. Um, but in terms of other options, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, you, you look at other environments and you probably think there's two or three coaches that could maybe do it. With England, it's such a unique thing that you don't actually... It's, quite, it's really quite difficult to say who could actually just step up and make it work and make it you know, work on the fly. Um, I mean, obviously, Ronan O'Gara has talked about the La Rochelle head coach, took La Rochelle to a, to a Heineken Champions Cup um, last season. Um, but then, obviously, now he's signed a, t- a contract with La Rochelle through to 2027, talk about long-term building. Um, and, yeah, I, I really struggled, to be honest, to look outside of, of Steve, Scott Robertson, and then maybe even Richard Cockrell, who's obviously now taken on the role on an interim basis. Um, I think an outside shout, really outside shout, would be the head coach of Northampton Saints as well, Sam Bestie, who, I mean, that attack that they have is, nothing short of absolutely mesmeric in my opinion um so if he was if you know he's another option but in terms of in terms of you know coaches from further afield i I personally i really struggle to see who could just come to an environment like england and really thrive really quickly yeah i mean i I suppose the one that maybe in in a way got away from england was andy farrell right and he signed with ireland through to 2025 so he's one that they may have missed out on 
Oh, big time. I mean, I mean, you look at that. <laughs> you look at that Ireland team, and obviously, I, I'm sure I, I don't want to make you relive too many horrible memories of <laughs> you know, over the summer. Um, well, sorry, the, the winter for you. But um, you know, you look at the way that his team's organised. That defence in particular is scary. Um, and I've, I've watched it in person a couple of times, and I'm still, you know, get mem- I still get frightened a bit by it. Um, he he really was one that that went missing, and obviously after 2015, with all the fallout of you know leaving a home World Cup at a, at a group stage, it really did feel like all those coaches were sort of tainted. But now you look at Andy Farrell, head coach of of Ireland, then also you look at Graham Rowntree, who's now the head coach in Munster. It's almost like the RFU are a bit scared to go back to that because there are such memories invoked of that World Cup. Um, but honestly, for me, I think if Andy was was available in 2025 or if he was able to have been negotiated out of 2023, he would have been a great option. Um, but it's like I say, I mean, Steve Borthwick leaving the England setup, getting that Leicester Tigers job and doing such a great job, it, it does seem to be the one that makes the most sense. I know, I know I'm kind of repeating myself and I'm banging a bit of a drum here, but it always felt like Borthwick was going to be the one, or maybe you know, for a while it felt like John Mitchell was going to be the one when he was defence coach there. Um, but now he's, you know, he's got probably quite a good gig with Japan. Um, so, yeah, it's hard. But Farrell definitely was one that got away, especially when you look at what the Ireland team are doing, number one in the world, you know, unbeatable. Um, whether or not they peak too soon, who knows? You're out from the World Cup. Yeah, well, we will see. We will see. Proof will be in the pudding come September. Joe, thanks very much for jumping on with us last minute, having a chat. Really appreciate your time, mate, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of the day. Yeah, will do. Joe Harvey there with us, freelance sports journalist out of the UK, at Joe Harvey 34 You can follow him on Twitter. It is 9.21 here on SENZ. It's 26 past uh, nine. I can tell you that Portugal taking uh, Switzerland to the clean. It is, it is now 5-1 and still over 20 minutes to go and still a certain someone sitting on the bench. Uh, no Cristiano Ronaldo just yet. Portugal doing it with ease at the moment. I'll tell you, uh, Eddie Jones, he's a bloke that splits opinion. Clive Woodward, or Sir Clive Woodward, I should say, uh, certainly not a fan. He's just said this. He will be remembered for the misguided rhetoric and unfulfilled promises. He is the shadow of the Jones I competed with and whose first years with England were so successful. Yeah, don't think those two get on. Uh, just quietly. You got to know when the whole Know when the fold Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, having a look at our multi for today. I've uh, gone for the cricket today, the uh, third uh, T20 match between uh, the White Ferns and Bangladesh. Sophie Devine. Uh, she is due some runs at the top. She scored some in the first one, missed out on the second a bit. I reckon she'll be a top scorer here at $2.70. And then got in the double banger for Dallas. The Dallas Mavericks plus five against the Denver Nuggets at $1.90. And the Dallas Stars head-to-head in the NHL against the Toronto Maple Leafs at $1.83. That's what it was when I put it on. It's gone out now, but that is paying $11.30. Uh, so that is our TAB multi for today. We're talking hockey in the next hour with Phil. Bill Burrows, the new Blacksticks head coach. It's five past ten, not too long before the Gunners are in town. They play Eden Park this weekend, uh, and 
looking forward to that one. Should be uh, a great show. Saw them in 1988 on the Guns Over New Zealand tour on the Appetite for Destruction tour going back a couple of years. What a show that was. What a show that was. Uh, just struggling to get hold of Phil Burrows at the moment, the new Blacksticks coach. Uh, hopefully we can get him for you shortly. In the meantime, there was another game this morning in the FIFA World Cup, the round of 16. It featured Spain, who, remember, opened their campaign with a 7-0 win over Costa Rica. They took on Morocco. At the end of extra time, it was nil all. So to pens, it went. And that is the end of extra time. And we are going to a penalty shootout. We go to pens. Abdul Hamid Sabidi is first up for Morocco. Steps up and rolls it down the right side. Yassine Bono is the goalkeeper for Morocco. Sarabia for Spain. And he's hit the posts. He's hit the base of the right posts. And it's ricocheted out. And Spain miss. Badr Bandun strolls up. And it's saved by Unai Simon. In all of his years, all of his experience, walks up to the spot. And it's saved again by Bono. Far too relaxed, that penalty from Sergio Busquets. So this will be the moment for Morocco. And it's on Ashraf Hakimi, Morocco's star player. The man who was born in Spain, about to send the nation of his birth home. Ashraf Hakimi, created by Real Madrid. And he blasts it down the middle. And Ashraf Hakimi has set Morocco to where they have never been before. Morocco are into the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And African team are in the final eight of the Qatar World Cup 2022. Yeah, and Morocco, uh, well done to them. Congratulations. They will have sat back after that penalty shootout win uh, in their dressing room, watched the following game between Portugal and the Swiss going, who are we going to play? And then saw that. Switzerland just not turning up and uh, capitulating, getting beaten 6-1 by the Portuguese. An absolute hammering. If you're Morocco, you're probably bricking yourself right now, Logan. Yeah, although <laughs> it made me feel a little bit better about the fact that Canada bombed out of the same group. But, man, that was exciting to watch. Uh, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, Ricardo and I, we uh, we ride here together, carpool on the way into the into the office, and I had the match up. Uh, we were watching the uh, penalty shootout. Of course, Ricardo driving responsibly, not looking at the phone at all. All eyes <laughs> on the road. It's all traffic, mate. You're not moving. Doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh man, and it got me thinking. Penalty shootouts to decide something like this. Where are you on this? Are you are you a fan of it in the World Cup, or would you rather another method? Uh, I've probably had it so long that I'm used to it now that I think it's probably the best method. Mm. But then I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know what would be really cool? Uh, just to let those players with the pace and the skill really shine, is that if maybe an extra time, you just made it seven aside, yeah. And and oh, cut it down from thirty minutes to twenty, so maybe ten aside, uh, ten ten each way, seven aside, on a full size pitch. So there's more room for those players. It's harder to close the room and park the bus, as it were, yeah. and it's a more open game. I reckon that could be a go. Oh, that's going to be such a test of uh, players, like you know, fitness as well. Just imagine the amount of area that you'd have to cover. There are only seven men. Well, that's the thing. It opens the pitch up, right? So yeah. those guys with all the skills that can run with the ball, you get to see them shine. That, that, that would be exciting. I mean, but I really do enjoy the drama that a penalty shootout in football creates. Mm. And it, it's the one moment in the game where I feel like the goalkeeper can just be the absolute superstar, superhero of, of your nation. You know, we, we saw that this morning with Morocco. 
And like, you know, I mean, we even saw it with Australia with uh, Andrew Redmayne, you know, to get them through to to the World Cup. I just love it. I I love how intense it is. And you know, if if the goalkeeper doesn't do well, typically it's not really on him. It's not his fault. It's down to uh, the other men and not sinking the goals. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, we, I think um, the stats suggest that you've got about a 90% chance from the spot to mm. score, right? So that, that it's the keeper. It's If you have a great penalty shootout, you're a hero. If you don't, it's okay because no one expects you to do anything anyway, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the expectation is not on you. It's on the guys trying to, trying to score. And then on the flip side of that, um, you know, there's other sports that, of course, that use shootouts, hockey, I know both field and ice use it in different ways, uh, but ironically, I'm a fan of it in field hockey, but not in ice hockey. Oh, really? Why not in ice hockey? Uh, I just, I mean, to me, it just feels like it's uh, a bona fide skills competition. It's not really. I, I like the mental aspect of of a shootout in football because I feel like we saw this morning with Morocco. It just seemed like he was reading each striker. Mm. Even the first one, it hit the post. Or did he get a little nick on it? I can't remember. But either way, he's he saw it. He knew where it was going. And I was like, man, this guy can really see where the ball's going to go. Like, he's an amazing goalkeeper. But with, uh, like, ice hockey, just kind of feels like it's a bit of a flashy shootout skills comp. But then in, in field hockey, like, they try to do the same thing as ice, but because there's, like, a time limit and you can do multiple shots as well. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember when the MLS started. Right, Major League Soccer in America, and they didn't want any drawn games. Right, they were tied games as they call them in America. Can't have a draw in America. No, exactly. So they brought in even just league matches. There were penalty shootouts, but they changed the penalty shootout. So it was more like an ice hockey shootout. The player who got the ball got to take it from halfway and run at the goalkeeper, and the keeper had to start on his start start on his line, but could then come out and close it down. That is a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, yeah, I know. But that's what they did. I, I come, it lasted about maybe three or four seasons before they scrapped it because I don't think the fans liked it. No, I got that sounds like a dumb idea. Yeah, but yeah, ML, MLS did that, and that's very much an basically an ice hockey penalty shootout. Yeah, no, not a fan. It doesn't work there either. Sorry, no, doesn't no. work. Does not work. Uh, it doesn't look like we're going to get Phil Burrows today, unfortunately, which is a shame because uh, you know he's been over in Victoria running um, high performance for Hockey Victoria. He's been coaching over there too and doing very, very well, and he's going to take over uh, the Black Sticks women. They've got a couple of games coming up in January in Tauranga against Spain before they head to Wellington for the start of the FIH Pro League in February where they're hosting the US and China. So it'd uh, be good to get him on before that and chat to him, but it doesn't look like we're going to get him on uh, today, unfortunately. But uh, keep your texts coming through because after 11.30, a man who I guarantee will show up is Ian Smith, and uh, he is going to be chatting to us out of Adelaide ahead of the second test between Australia and the West Indies. Few questions I have for him about the state of Australian cricket at the moment, and uh, whether or not the fans are still in love with this Australian cricket team, or have they fallen out? And maybe a, a little bit of a chat about David Warner as well. He really doesn't seem uh, to be scoring the runs that he should be. Uh, he failed in that first dig against the Windies in Perth when everyone else just bathed in runs. Uh, so we'll get Smithy's take on that. And if you've got anything that you want me to ask Smithy as well, text it through double eight double three. 
is the Temper Bedpost text machine. Uh, Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. We'll get those questions to Smithy, double eight double three. Text them through. I've already got a couple come through, but they're all about punting and horse racing. Maybe if you've got a cricket question, you might want to get that in as well. Double eight, double three. It is 14 past 10 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. When we come back, it's the panel. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Graham Beasley from sportsfreak.co.nz. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Yourself, Ricardo? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. And Andrew Gordy from News Hub, uh, the president of the Cristiano Ronaldo fan club in New Zealand. How are you? <laughs> uh, formally, I think. Uh, I, I, uh, I got rid of that title uh, a few months ago. I think, uh, Ricardo, but, uh, mate, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. That, that's good. Hey, we'll, we'll talk World Cup in a minute, but uh, I want to start with the sacking of Eddie Jones by English rugby and uh, where he sits. I think, and that legacy at, at English rugby, uh, where it sits for him. After Sir Clive Woodward uh, very graciously said this, he will be remembered for the misguided rhetoric and unfulfilled promises, a shadow of the Jones I competed with and whose first years were su- so successful. Uh, Gordy, it doesn't sound like those guys exchange Christmas cards. Well, look, if they did exchange Christmas cards, I don't think they'll be uh, exchanging any more after comments like that. Um, yeah, it's, look, it's no real surprise, is it? I mean, this was certainly uh, a move that we, we all saw coming. Uh, it was, you know, heavily telegraphed, obviously, through through the uh, British media and whatnot. So it was, uh, yeah, not, not a surprise whatsoever to wake up to that news this morning. Um, Eddie Jones is a real divisive figure, isn't he? And, um, you know, it's really hard to argue with his, his overall track record. I mean, his, his longevity in the game and his ability to sort of move with the times. And, and let's, let's remember, we're talking about a very long period of time here. You know, not many coaches, I think, have the ability to stay relevant uh, and, and able to adapt, I suppose, um, for the amount of time and with so many different teams as Eddie Jones has. Um, but maybe he's just come to the end of his run. And he's one of those coaches, I think, that, that is, is good in short bursts with teams. But I think what England have found is perhaps he's just overstayed his welcome. And uh, I suppose the unfortunate thing for them is they're now being forced into a change um, you know, less than a year out from a World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see, I suppose. We all know that England have the ability. Um, it'll be interesting to see whoever comes in, and we obviously expect it's going to be Steve Borthwick, um, what he'll be able to do with this team. Will he be able to turn them around and, and into... Uh, World Cup contenders uh, in the space of less than 12 months. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think they do need somebody internal at least until the World Cup who knows the players, who knows uh, the system, uh, Graham. And uh, that said, it'll be interesting to see what they do because, you know, talking to a few people from up there, including, you know, Martin Gillingham, who's a pretty well respected commentator, he thinks Borthwick's a, a step backwards. He's reasonably one dimensional as a coach. He believes they need an international coach. Yeah, um, um, first of all, isn't Clive Woodward a piece of work? You know, there's nothing like a bitter ex-coach. Yeah, you're right there, Graham. Nothing like a bitter ex-coach. I think we've lost him, Graham. Um, oh, there he is. What a, what a... Oh, I'm not sure what's going on here. He sent us to the printer, Gordy. We lost Gordy as well. Yeah, not quite sure. Not good, no, no, you've got me, you've got me, don't worry. Uh, up here in Auckland, the... Uh, the uh, 
Um, <laughs> down there in the wall, so I'm not quite sure what's going on. Um, yeah, he's right about to Clive Woodward, though, isn't he? I mean, it's. I think it's a real shame, actually. And, and here I say it, I think Steve Hansen's just about started wandering into that zone himself. Of those former coaches who just who just come out and and spout like this. I mean, obviously they're getting often getting paid to do it. I'm sure Sir Clive Woodward's getting paid to do it, but you know, Sir Clive Woodward really is dining out on on one one singular achievement in his coaching career. I think. Um, and beyond that, I mean, I think if I was if I was going to say who was the better overall coach out of Eddie Jones and, and Sir Clive Woodward, well, I think it's a no-brainer for me. Um, I know it's, it's Eddie Jones all day long. Um, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I think when former coaches like this um, come out and and just really offer opinions that are just not really not really needed to be perfectly honest. No, I think we've got Graham Beasley back. Graham, you were, you were saying about what a piece of work Sir Clive Woodward is. Oh, isn't he just? You know, you don't need these sort of ex-coaches sniping from the sidelines like that. And um, I'm uh, I'm not sure if I said it before I got uh, cut off. We've got a few of them in this country across different sports as well, and they. Um, they don't really add anything to the narrative. Um, I agree that Eddie Jones is kind of a short-term sort of coach, um, a, a bit like a guy that we all know well in this um, in this call, uh, uh, Jose Mourinho, who um, comes in and generally does does improve things early on, but then um, then it all sort of gets a bit like sort of milk that's gone off. And uh, you know, Jones did last quite a while with England. Um, they were unbeaten in 2017, made the World Cup final in 2019. Um, but then, yeah, just, just just over time, it all sort of becomes a bit stale. But um, it does seem surprising that they are looking internally. And, um, you know, from all, all that we're hearing about Borthwick, I can't really see how, how that's going to turn it around. I'd have thought that they, um, they might have looked outside. Yeah, I would have thought so too. Uh, and, Andrew, I wonder whether or not uh, Wales pulling the trigger when they did and giving Gatlin the job has torpedoed one of their options because there was some talk about Gatlin and the England job after the last Lions series. Yeah, and, and um, just to go back on to the point that you made previously, I'm, I'm a bit amused about this idea that Steve Borthwick is somehow going to be the solution for England, perhaps in a short-term um, capacity, but it doesn't. It wouldn't fill me with confidence if I was an English rugby fan. Thank goodness I'm not. Um, if I was an English rugby fan, I would not be uh, confident or happy about the prospect of Steve Borthwick taking that team into the future. Um, from a New Zealand perspective, I'm very concerned about the fact that England have have made a move on Eddie Jones. Um, they clearly have a lot of money, right? They, they can go out and essentially buy whoever they want. So if they could convince Scott Robertson, they've certainly got the money to buy him out of his contract and, and get him in there. Um, and until, I suppose, Steve Borthwick is confirmed into that role, that would be probably my main concern as a, you know, as a, obviously as a supporter of rugby here in New Zealand. Um, as, as Warren Gatlin said yesterday, I mean, I think he's a clear head and shoulders standout candidate to be the next All Blacks coach and boy oh boy if England um, you know, are shrewd enough to get in there and grab him um, ahead of New Zealand rugby before they've got their ducks in a row or before they're prepared to make a move um, my goodness there'll be health Yeah I, I agree uh, Graham and it was, you know, I thought that was interesting from Gatlin wasn't it uh, certainly hazing a, another former Chiefs coach with that comment <laughs> That was very interesting from Gatlin because you know, he didn't need to say it did he but it's always good, yeah, if you've got one ex-Chiefs coach having a, you know, basically trolling another ex-Chiefs coach. 
that um that makes for good theatre. But you see, I would have thought that Scott Robertson would be a prospect for England because they have actually got time before the World Cup. They've got the Six Nations. Um, they'll, they'll have some other practice games, etc. So there is time to turn it around. And you look at the last victors of the Men's Rugby World Cup and the Women's one, they've been coached by people who have come in at about the same stage as Scott Robertson if he was to take over now. Yeah, well, I suppose if you look back to uh, what the last World Cup, right, when Rassi Erasmus, how, how long did he have when he was appointed Springboks coach? It wasn't that long, was it, Gordy? About six months, I think, and yeah. about six months for Wayne yeah. Smith. Yeah, and, and that team. So yep. the sort of line that oh, I'm building for World Cup, and you can't change people a year out from the World Cup. I I just don't buy that logic. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the other thing is too that you know, like the Welsh did, they announced Pivac was gone and unveiled Gatlin straight away. All of a sudden, England have sacked Jones, which we knew two days ago. It took them two days to announce it, and they haven't announced who the replacement is yet, which makes me think that maybe it's not as cut and dry and, and there are conversations about people who maybe are under contract and they're trying to see if they can get them. I totally yeah, and that. that's um, that's the thing for me. That's the thing for me, Ricardo, because you read that re- press release from England Rugby and the second paragraph that really sticks out for me, the RFU will now conclude the long-term work it has been undertaken on coach succession planning with changes set to be announced in the near future. In the interim, Richard Cockrell will take over the day-to-day running of the men's performance team. Now that... I, like you've just said, Bale's made a decision, right? They cut Pivac and Gatlin was straight in. Now, if if their replacement was going to be Steve Borthwick, wouldn't you have that in line? Wouldn't you have that ready to go to announce right now? Um, that's the thing that has me a little concerned, I suppose, about the idea that perhaps they could go after after Scott Robertson on this. The other fact that I just want to mention as well, like, and we were talking before about the idea of Steve Borthwick taking over and how that's not wouldn't really be um, a great, an easy sell, I don't think, to the England rugby public. I know we're talking different sports here, but just look at the England cricket team right now and 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 what they're going through and the the wave of um, or the massive boost, I suppose, that they have received since Brendan McCullum has become the coach of their test team. Now, I think we all know that Brendan McCullum is not some. There's no secrets to his to his test coaching ability or anything like that. It is all about mindset. And he is all about positivity and, and being prepared to take, you know, tactical risks um, in the game. And look at the, the positivity and the impact that it's having on the England cricket team. Now, I, I would not be surprised at all if people are making that similarity, uh, making that comparison, I, I should say, that Scott Robertson is the sort of person who could come in and have a similar impact on the England rugby team. Like I say, I know we're talking about different sports here, but I think so much of coaching these days at international level in any sport, is often about your ability to motivate and get players in behind you and follow your, your direction, not necessarily the blueprint of how you want to play the game. And I think there's probably a few lessons that perhaps New Zealand rugby could learn on that front as well. Yeah, you're not wrong. I've just had a text through from Mikey saying, regarding England having to buy Razor out of his contract, what hasn't been highlighted is that I'm 90% sure he has a get-out clause this year, so it could be a done deal. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. Um, now, I'm I'm looking out of the SCNZ studio window, and I can see Mark Robinson talking to someone having a coffee at the moment. Uh, I, I'm, if that happens, Graeme, he's got to go straight to the desk and write his resignation letter, doesn't he? I would think so. Yep. yep. It would be a, a, a huge opportunity miss, especially if the rumours are true about it was sort of close to being a done deal that he would be taking over the All Blacks a few months ago, and then they sort of they blinked. 
um, then yeah, I, I would think that that would be such a massive loss. And I do agree with Andrew that um, being a head coach, it's about mindset and all that kind of stuff. And I think we can be pretty sure that Scott Robertson would be as good as anyone um, in that kind of role. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Graham Beasley from sportsfreak.co.nz, Andrew Gordy from News Hub with us. And gentlemen, the FIFA World Cup, uh, we've just had the end of the round of 16. We know all the quarter finalists, but what a day today. Uh, drama in the Morocco Spain game. I had Spain to win this to nil. Um, I got that part right, but not much else, Gordy. Yeah, you can say that again. Uh, yeah, a massive shock, I've got to say. So um, I think I woke up for the for the extra time and the penalty shootout. Can I, can I just say, though, it, it never ceases to amaze me how players just lose their bottle, lose their, their mindset, their mentality when it comes to penalty shootouts. Some of the, some of the penalties that we saw both yesterday from, from the Japanese players and this morning from the Spanish, just absolutely astounding. Um, and just the wrong option in the wrong moment. Like, and, and I'm going to pick on Sergio Busquets here, but when you're the captain and your team is 2-0 down in a shootout and they need you to score, that, that, that approach of, of taking it slow, trying to see which way the, the keeper goes and having no real force behind your shot, that's not the option in that moment. Um, it just shows uh, an indecisiveness, a lack of conviction that's required in that moment. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to watch, isn't it? It is fascinating to watch, you know, players of, of supreme ability. It is such a leveller, um, the penalty shootout, because as soon as Morocco got on the board first um, and Spain missed, it was like, wow, we're, we're going to really see what people are made of now. And, and I'm, I'm always really intrigued as well by the dynamic of a penalty shootout, whether you are ahead in the shootout, level in the shootout, or behind in the shootout. It has a massive impact on what you do both as a penalty taker and as a goalkeeper. And I, I really have to applaud the, the Moroccan player. I think it was the, the player who took the last penalty. Akimi. You know, if you're ever going to send a ball straight down the middle, it's when your team is up in a shootout because the goalkeeper is of the mindset, I have to do something. I have to be decisive. I have to make a save. So that's the scenario where they're either going to dive hard left or hard right. But they're not going to stay in the middle, are they? So that's the moment to, to go down the middle. And, you know, people can say, oh, you know, wow, what, the, what guts it takes to pull off a Pimenta or, or, you know, bury one down the middle uh, in that scenario. Actually, that, that, is the, that is the moment to do it because the goalkeeper is of a, of a mindset, they're desperate. And so they're not just going to stand in the middle and, and wait. They're going, to, they're going to make a decisive move. And, that's where it comes off. So, yeah, fascinating morning. Fascinating morning. And I tell you, if Hakimi had big cojones taking that last penalty and putting it down the middle, Graham, um, I think Fernando Santos had even bigger ones by benching a certain someone ahead of the Switzerland-Portugal game. <laughs> and um, and he got the right person to replace him, didn't he? Mm. Boy, that's quite a, quite a fairy tale, really. Um, you know, for uh, Ramos to make his first appearance um, of the tournament, I think it was only the fifth time he'd played for the senior uh, Portuguese side in three immaculately taken goals um, and real drama. And um, I hadn't seen that performance coming from Portugal, who I thought had looked a bit sort of stuttery um, going into this match. Um, but then to turn around and do that, I think it's fair to say that um, Ronaldo won't be starting in the um, in the quarterfinal either. And that um, Portugal might just have found the guy to, um, 
you know, to have, have the baton passed on to. That was very emphatic from Portugal. Yeah, they, they certainly look better without Cristiano Ronaldo, didn't they, Gordy? Just the movement, the pace, uh, the pressing, uh, everything they did, they just they gave the Swiss no time. They did, mate. And, you know, let's, let's not underplay this. Like, we've, we've witnessed a pretty seismic moment in, in football, in, in the world of football this morning. You know, there's obviously been a big narrative around Cristiano Ronaldo and, and, his, and his club situation leading into this tournament, the interview with Piers Morgan, and, you know, essentially, you know, trying his way out of Manchester United. Um, he has been humiliated on the biggest stage in world football this morning. Um, make no no bones about it. He he has been humiliated. He has been embarrassed. Um, this is the you know a, a guy who considers himself you know one of if not the greatest player to ever play the game, um, and it's his petulance that that has seen it happen. And, and, and you know Fernando Santos, you've got to say hats off to the guy for following through with the same conviction that Eric Ten Hag had, obviously to to bench him, but. You know, Ronaldo's not going to be able to do an interview with Piers Morgan and get a move to Saudi Arabia um, to play as international football, is he? Like, he's stuck there now. He's stuck on the bench. And after that performance, and, and like you quite rightly say, that was a performance that no one saw coming because we just hadn't seen that, that sort of type of football, I suppose, from, from Portugal. And now we know the reason why. And it is the point that people have been hammering home about Cristiano Ronaldo uh, for months now is that, he he is he cannot do he cannot or will not do the things that modern managers need him to do uh, in the modern game of football and, and you saw it this morning you obviously had a player um, replace him and and put in a performance that yeah will will go down in Portuguese football history but but the other players around them were better as well you know João Felix who's a, who's a tremendous talent um, he looked better this morning he was more prominent um, for, for the Portuguese. And now they have, they have a real opportunity, don't they, to get through to the semi-finals of the World Cup. And once you get to the semi-finals of the World Cup, who knows? And and the point here is that Cristiano Ronaldo, in all likelihood, will be watching the, the majority of the rest of Portugal stay in this tournament from the bench. And he's got to reflect in this moment, I think, and, and just go, what have I done? What have I done both for my club career and my international career by carrying on like a child um, the lack of maturity he has shown for a, what is he, 37 year, years old and one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Um, he has really just let himself down, I think, um, with, his, with his words, with his actions over the last sort of 12 months. Um, and he's really only got himself to blame for the way that this is panning out. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. 100% agree. All right, gentlemen, let's talk some cricket. Uh, Jimmy Neesham's been announced as going to be playing for the Hobart Hurricanes in the BBL. Uh, there's, I think, a record number of Kiwis playing in it this year, all you know, guys that have taken the option to not have centralised contracts, or in Jimmy's case, it wasn't really an option, but yeah, there you go. Uh, Colin Munro, Colin de Gronholm, Trent Bolt, of course, uh, Martin Guptill, and now Jimmy Neesham. There's a, there's a few over there. Do you think, uh, Graham, that increases the visibility of the BBL here? Do you think more people will be inclined to tune in from this side of the ditch now? Um, to a certain extent, although they're, they're all playing for different teams, I think, aren't they? Mm. I actually find it quite hard to get into the BBL. It's, um, I think it's overbloated now. I think when it moved from six teams to eight, it lost a bit of quality. Um, there are actually a few sort of grade cricketers that seem to pop up in it. Um, and even just the fact that the colours 
don't represent what we used to. You know, when the BBL started, you had, the, you know, as, as there's a team in light blue, it was a New South Wales team, et cetera, et cetera. But now because they've gone out of their way to um, move away from tradition and have all the teams wearing pretty random colours, with perhaps the exception of the Scorchers, um, it's sort of, it's hard to identify. You turn it on and it's the MS playing the BB or something and you sort of, you spend sort of half an hour trying to work out who's who and what, what, what teams they are and all the rest of it. So I just don't think it's got that identity. Um, it's a bit like the IPL for me, actually. I just, I've tried really hard to have a team um, and even with all those um, New Zealand players there now, it's still going to be hard to sort of pick a team that, that, that you want to win. Um, and if you're watching sport like that, it all just sort of blends into one, really. So, um, no, I mean, I, I, I actually prefer the Super Smash. Mm-hmm. And I know that as New Zealand cricket fans, we're supposed to sort of bow down to um, Australia cricket or something. But at least you sort of know who the teams are. You've got a team that you're supporting. Um, and, you know, and, and you're watching uh, 11 New Zealanders playing uh, 11 New Zealanders. It seems far more relevant to me. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I, I, Andrew, I don't know about you, but I always find it quite easy to to, to figure out who to support in the big bash. It's whoever um, is playing against David Warner's team. <laughs> yeah, I think most Kiwis could probably relate to that, mate. But, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of share the sentiments, really. I, the, the big bash doesn't really hold a, a great appeal for me. Um, we don't have a strong connection to it, do we? And, yeah, maybe that will change. There, there will be an, an additional interest. Like, I'll be interested to see how Nish goes, how Cupville goes, how Trent Bolt goes, Colin, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it, I won't become attached to a particular team or anything like that. And it's the same for me in the Indian Premier League as well. I mean, to me, it's just entertainment. It's entertainment that you can chuck on of an evening. Um, big Bash League I'm talking about here. Um, it's entertainment you can chuck on the television um, of an evening and, and consume it. But I'm not, I'm not cheering for a particular team or anything like that. And, and, and I think that's understandable too. Like, it's really a competition for an Australian audience, isn't it? Because it's, it's their competition and it's their players who will be, I suppose, well, by and large, be in contention to go on and play for Australia. But, and, that's, and that's the thing with the, with the Super Smash here. You know, we have, we're invested in it, aren't we? Because we, we know that if we watch the competition and we, and we watch the players who perform, there's a very good chance we might see them, um, you know, doing the very same thing for New Zealand down the track. So I think it's, I think it's understandable to a degree that, you know, perhaps Kiwis aren't totally invested in, in the Big Bash or the Indian Premier League um, and are perhaps more invested in their own competition. And that, that's a good thing. Uh, that's a good thing for New Zealand cricket. I think, um, and the future of the game as well. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more, gentlemen. All right, thank you very much for your thoughts. Uh, always appreciate your time. Go well and uh, enjoy the rest of the week. I don't yeah. know what to do for the rest of the week. Now we've got two days off of football. <laughs> yeah, no football. No. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do that <laughs> It's going to feel really weird, isn't it? It is. It's going to be very strange, yeah. very strange. We, I suppose you can watch the White Ferns Bangladesh today. That gives you one thing to do this afternoon, Graham. That's true. Yep, we'll do that from um, from Queenstown. Yeah, indeed. Gentlemen, thank you again. Go well. And uh, we'll be back with another panel tomorrow from around 20 past 10. This is SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brent, your local John Deere equipment supplier. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> The Grand Tour Racing Festival is coming to you, and uh, right now, Louis Herman Watt is coming to us. How are you, mate?
Yes, Rick Dog, very good, mate. How are you after that uh, clinical Portugal performance? Mate, it was superb, wasn't it? So, so good. Uh, I'll tell you what, Morocco, as good as they'll be feeling about winning that penalty shooter about Spain, will be bricking themselves about now, I'd imagine. Yes, <laughs> 100%. 100%, mate. Um, it's been so good. Like, this happens every year. We just fall in love, or every four years, we just fall in love. But this one in particular, the upsets, has given everybody something to cheer for. Mate, totally has, totally has. It's been a great World Cup, and uh, what a what a set of quarterfinals we have coming up. Starting Saturday morning at four, Croatia versus Brazil. Uh, we've got England versus France as well coming up. Mate, some great matchups. Netherlands versus Argentina. Netherlands, Argentina, mate. I'd be I'd be worried if I was a Lionel Messi fan. Mm. My Dutch are coming. They could <laughs> they could play in clogs and still win. What have you got for us? And speaking of playing in clogs, what have you got for us in terms of horseshoes, mate? Yeah, I got a few horseshoes. Maybe I actually reckon as a, this horse could run in clogs and probably still win. Mohawk Brave, race eight. I can't believe the price they put this horse up at seven dollars fifty. No shock to see it smashed into four eighty. There has been scratchings of Coat de Boone and Bradman who have been winners of late, but Mohawk Brave, uh, Hakim Kamarudin, who's down here for Tiakau riding, and he, he looks like he can ride and he's very accomplished in his own right. $4.80 for barrier one, $2 a place. I think $2 a place today on a soft track where he hasn't won before, but all his wins have come on a good track. And you've got to remember that when it says it's a soft five, that's pretty much a dead track, really. Uh, so at Hastings today, race number eight, number two, Mohawk Brave from that good low barrier draw can be conservative from the barrier, save some petrol. He has a lightning turn of foot. We just haven't seen the best of him with preparation yet. Fourth up, he'll be fit, better track, ready to go. I think he'll be winning. Yeah, all right. Oh, that's a good tip, mate. That's a good tip. But what else is what else is coming up this weekend that's exciting you? Cinerama, Kempi's horse, um, and it's Arapa. The Carlo Zuzu Stakes is such a good race every year for the Phillies and Mares. Uh, the Waikato Cup as well. Always gets a good. They always get a really good crowd on track at Tarapa for that, and. You get the nice three-year-olds at this time of year. They're starting to pop their heads back up for some air. Uh, yeah, I've got a thousand, two thousand guineas. But the Karaka Classic and the Karaka Million, well, they're only, what are we, under two months away, well and truly six weeks away or so. So those horses are back starting to plot their preparations for those big million-dollar races come end of January. You start to see them put their hooves up at this time of year to say, I can win those million-dollar races. Yeah, good stuff, mate. All right, Louis, go well, mate. We'll see uh, see you tomorrow morning, bright and early, with uh, with Izzy and Kempi. Sweet eyes, Victor. Bye. Bye. Uh, there you go. Seven away from 11. Eat, drink, and get racy. Round up your crew and book now at grandtour.nz. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Pip Morris from the TAB joins us. G'day, Pip. Hey, Ricardo, how are you this morning? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. I'm wondering what I'm going to do with myself for the next two days with no uh, World Cup football on, though. You got any any suggestions? Oh, well, you might have to just check out the uh, basketball today. There's <laughs> been quite a, quite a few bets on them. You know, they're starting to wind up into their season, but I do feel you're getting uh, very good, isn't it, into the nitty-gritty with the football. Yeah, exactly. Back to the quarter, uh, down to the quarterfinals. We've got those games uh, coming up over the weekend as well. Uh, in terms of the basketball, the NBA... Had a bit of a look at the, that today, actually, myself. I, I quite like the Cavs to beat the Lakers. The Heat should beat the Pistons. And that Nuggets-Mavs game looks really interesting as well. Yeah, it really-
probably does. Look, there's a couple of punters that disagree with you because I have to tell you, there's been 1.2 thousand placed on the Lakers head to head at 2.45. Another thousand of them at that quote as well. $800 bet on the Lakers points start at 5.5 at $1.87 as well, Ricardo. An $890 bet on the Pistons points start plus seven at $1.90. And I can tell you too, on the Football World Cup, $500 multi. Brazil, Argentina and France all to win head to head. Combined odds 676 is really popular. And $400 on England to win and both teams to score at 550. Nice. Good stuff, Pip. Go well. Enjoy your day. Cheers, Pip from the TAB there. Watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly, R18. We're talking FIFA World Cup next. It is four past 11 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Ricardo in for Smithy until Christmas. And joining us out of Switzerland is experienced Swiss sports journo Marco Keller. Uh, Marco, uh, only uh, appropriate to start this segment with some U2, given that Bono was the star of the uh, penalty shootout between Morocco and Spain. Yeah, absolutely. Good Good morning, everybody in New Zealand. Uh, yeah, he was a star. He was ready, and uh, he looked more ready than the Spanish forwards were when they when they approached uh, the shot and when they took the shot. And uh, so, in the end, it was yeah not so much of a lottery, but it looked deserved what Morocco did. Yeah, very much so. And uh, you know, the first uh, team from that part of the world to uh, to make it into the quarterfinals of the World Cup, I believe, as well. Uh, Luis Enrique had said that the Spanish players had taken a thousand penalties in the week leading up to this game at practice. Maybe they took all their good ones, Marco. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think he had already said that last year at the European Championships, once uh, they had first eliminated uh, Switzerland uh, in the shootout, but then they had lost to Italy in the semifinals. And after that, uh, Luis Enrique had already said, well, they better go home and uh, take some penalty shots, take a lot of penalty shots before the next uh, real big uh, tournament. But seemingly, yeah, that wasn't enough. No, it wasn't enough. Uh, let's talk your boys. Uh, the Swiss, of course, did very well to get out of a tough, tough group. Uh, you know, with the Serbs, that game against Serbia was one of the games of the tournament. Uh, I th- I thought this was going to be a very tight game against the Portuguese, but uh, Portugal didn't read the script. Or we could also say the Swiss didn't read the script really well <laughs> because... Um, Actually, yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of positive energy going on after the coming out of that group and winning that game against Serbia, which for different reasons is always like a, a tough one for the Swiss and uh, like emotionally very loaded. And then, uh, yeah, a lot of people thought there's a good chance now to to get um, to play well and. Uh, possibly even eliminate the big uh, side, which uh, Portugal is. But then uh, the things went really wrong. And from the beginning, except for maybe the 10 first minutes, the Swiss were never really into the game. And, uh, yeah, they, they gave uh, Portugal a lot, of, uh, a lot of free space, a lot of ways to, to uh, yeah, develop their game. And, uh, hey, they have a lot of great players, even with Ronaldo being on the bench and... Uh, I think they they made best of use of of what we in Switzerland think was a pretty poor performance tonight. Yeah, I mean, in terms of Ronaldo being on the bench, I mean, it's one of those things that, 
you know, we've seen what's happened at Manchester United. It's now happened to him at Portugal. So the, the writing is on the wall uh, for Cristiano Ronaldo. Do you think he plays for Portugal again after this tournament, given he's going to Saudi Arabia? This is a very good question. I really don't know. Uh, I mean, hey, it depends. It also depends. Maybe now there's a, you know, what Fernando Santos will do, who, if he will remain, if there will be another coach at some point, what Ronaldo's plans are. I mean, he still has the ambition, but uh, it might look like uh, things are getting a little bit more difficult for him than in the past year. So, <clears throat> on the other hand, I was surprised how, how happy surprised how happy he was when the fellow players scored tonight and uh, that seemed to genu- seem to be genuine uh, he seemed to be genuinely happy for them and uh, yeah so uh, he's definitely ready for one at least at least one last shot here i would say yeah well, what does this mean now for swiss football because i look at some of the the very good players that you've had over the last sort of 10 years or so the granite jackers the jordan Sakiris, um those those sort of players i mean i i doubt we'll see them at another world cup is is there another generation coming uh young players coming through the swiss ranks yeah absolutely that would not be that would not be the issue. Then I still think uh, Granit Xhaka is not that old yet. There's still uh, still a possibility of him being around in four years. And uh, you know the the Swiss they have now made five consecutive uh, five, uh, tournaments, like coming through the qualifying ranks, which is good for a nation like ours. But still, the next step. Uh, has to be done. There's there's quite a few very good players like Okafor, Vargas, especially like some of the forwards, like the offensive-minded players. But then again, uh, maybe in defense we need to we need to have a little bit, yeah, fresh blood there. And also that was also one of the key elements today that didn't really go our way. Yeah, the, in terms of uh, Swiss football, I mean, how what was the expectation going into this tournament for the Swiss team, especially given the group that you were in? Well, first first goal all, always for a team like Switzerland has to be to 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 get beyond that group. That's what they did. They played they played so so. They played okay against Cameroon, but Cameroon could also have gone uh, taken the lead in the first. Uh, period against Brazil, the performance defensively was very, very solid. Offensively, it was really poor. And then against Serbia, that was a that was a very big spectacle game and uh, nice to see for the crowd, as you mentioned, one of the games of the tournament. But that also came because like the Serbs are pretty not really balanced between offensive and defensive. And then, hey, once you're in the round of 16, you want to win that. But uh, we also, in tennis, we would say we did a little bit of unforced errors because we had some issues with some defenders who were sick. And uh, now Murat Yakin, our uh, manager, he just uh, he just switched from uh, four man defense to a three-man defense and he only seemingly as Shakiri said after the game he only mentioned that to the players today which is a little bit like a short transition period for adaptation especially if you have to face such a such a great team as uh, as Portugal is but then in the end just today Switzerland didn't really show up
No, they didn't. It almost felt like maybe the game against the Serbs took uh, something out of them because there is so much on that game, isn't it? It's, it's, it's almost like a, a derby match, you would say, um, because of the rivalry which has stemmed from back in 2018. Absolutely. It's pretty similar to that. Also, when the Swiss also passed in 2018, then they played next match against Sweden. Of course, Sweden is not like Portugal, but everybody in Switzerland also felt that was like, at that time, there was a really golden chance to go to go one step further to reach the quarters. And then there was also a lackluster performance. And in the end, in the end, the Swedes prevailed. Of course, then also, when we say Sweden is a good draw, Sweden, of course, will also say Switzerland is a good throw. So we cannot automatically expect to be those uh, to beat those teams. But now, with more players being in the Premier League, in the Serie A, in Germany, um, yeah, the level of Swiss of the Swiss in general has risen. But uh, yeah, it's still not enough to go one or even two steps further because some of the people even started dreaming. Well, it's always nice to dream, but uh, some even mentioned that there could be a chance to go all the way, which I thought was a was still a very optimistic approach. Yeah, very, very optimistic, I think. Although, I mean, you see what Morocco did. We talked about that. I mean, we could could yeah. have been talking about uh, Switzerland playing Morocco for a spot in a semi final. Absolutely, of course. Then, uh, then again, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, Morocco, the way they are playing, would have been easier than the and the Spanish tiki-taka, and, uh, which also seems to be a little bit uh, lacking ideas now at some point. But, but hey, yeah, for a dance, there, you always need to, and uh, the Swiss are not ready to dance. No, not no, not quite yet. Uh, in terms of uh, the World Cup in general, uh, you will have been uh, keeping an eye on this. Uh, the French course doing very well. The Brazilians, Portugal, we saw today go very well. Who do you like now to, to win the tournament? Well, I mean, the quarterfinals now are really, really great matches. Uh, I think also Brazil. Brazil has showed yesterday what they can, what they're able, capable of, and uh, if they can keep it up, also against the side against sides that are even stronger than South Korea, then they have a good chance. Then, uh, you know, I I never want to count out Argentina. I mean, they still Messi is still around and. Uh, and they would have a substitute in case Messi weren't able to play, which is one of my favorite players, but also because he plays in Rome now is uh, Paolo Dybala, who hasn't seen any any time on the pitch yet, but he would be a good substitute too. And France, England, I would say is is completely open. So I still go for one of the two South Americans. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting actually. That 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 meeting is going to be a semi-final, uh, which is going to be a massive occasion. But we could, absolutely, Marco, we could have a final between Messi and Ronaldo, couldn't we? Uh, I mean, all the talk about who the greatest of all time could actually be decided on the biggest stage. That could be, but that's also that's also very far away. And then, hey, again, if um, if Fernando Santos decides now to to stick to the successful scheme he has had tonight and with this Gonzalo Ramos being absolutely impressive with uh, not only because of the three goals he did he scored tonight but with everything uh, that he brings onto the pitch then it might be would also be a, a final with Messi on the field and uh, Ronaldo maybe just coming in so 
then again, to decide then who is the biggest of all time is also would also be a little bit questionable, I feel. Yeah, no, you're probably right there. You're probably right there. Marco, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for staying up late for us in Switzerland. I really appreciate it. Good to talk to you again, my friend, and uh, we'll stay in Great touch and hopefully to you, talk Ricardo. soon. Yeah, all the best and uh, have a nice day back in New Zealand. Yeah, will do. Marco Keller there out of Switzerland for us talking the FIFA World Cup. It is a quarter past 11 here on SENZ. Uh, mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brent, your local John Deere equipment supplier. So if you've missed it, this is what the quarterfinal matchups look like. It is Croatia taking on Brazil. England take on France. Holland take on Argentina and Portugal clash with Morocco. Those are your quarterfinals in the FIFA World Cup kickoff Saturday morning, the first of those around four o'clock between Croatia and Brazil. It is time. We're bringing it forward. We're winding it forward for Stumped. If you want to play Stumped, we're going to do it next. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. Your chance at a $50 TAB bonus bet if you can stump me. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, Ian Smith is top class at his job and uh, you'll be able to hear him on the uh, cricket commentary with the second test between Australia and the West Indies getting underway at his beloved Adelaide Oval uh, tomorrow. And Ricardo, of course, he's going to be on the show shortly, which is why we're bringing it forward. Smithy will be on just after the 11.30 news, but now it's time to play Stumped by Ricardo with a $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Of course, uh, you know, you've put up the pot a couple of times pretty big. How are you going to go here? Good question. Uh, it depends on what uh, what categories we have and what, what gets chosen, but I think we got it to 350 mm-hmm. I think, while you were away. Managed to give that away. <laughs> yes, I think I was listening. I was very busy with my uh, move at the time, but I still had you guys on. Always listen to SCNZ, even when I'm not here. What a good company, man. I am. All right, well, first up, we have Jade from Hamilton. Come in, mate. Hey, Lids. How are you? Yeah, buddy. I'm doing good. How's H-Town? Uh, it's a little bit wet at the moment. Um, yeah, not good, but we'll, we'll, we'll persevere on. All right, well, I know you know how to play, but for those listening at home and you want to give it a crack someday, this is how it works. We have three categories to choose from today. If you get a question wrong, then it's over to Ricardo for a chance to knock your bails off. If he gets it right, get out within the first two questions, and it's on to the next caller in line. Get dismissed on the final question, and we will jackpot the next day. Now, Jade, the topics for you today are the FIFA World Cup, the NBA, and our White Ferns. We'll have a crack at the NBA. All right. Good luck. I think Ricardo knows a thing or two about the NBA, but we'll see how we go. Good luck. Uh, first question for you. With a record of 20 and 5, that's 20 wins, 5 losses, who is currently the most successful team in this season's NBA? Is it Delphic? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. And every day, Ricardo won't shut up about it. Yeah, my Boston Celtics, going good, going good. All right, second question for you, Jade. Who has received the most NBA MVP awards in the history of the league? Surely it's Michael Jordan. One of the worst things I have ever seen 
done on a cricket field. You would, yeah, you would think MJ. MJ is a great shout, but no, not the goat. Um, it's the the next obvious answer would be LeBron James, right? But I wonder if that's too obvious. Um, I am going to say Larry Bird. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. This is where your Celtic heart did you wrong. I like where you were going. Lakers legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Ah, it was Lakers, right. Okay, yeah, I could never pick that. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't go, LeBron. All right, last question, Jade. Still alive, $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs here. California is home to four NBA teams, the most in one state. Two of them play in the same arena, the Clippers and the Lakers in LA. Can you name the other two teams? Uh, Golden State Warriors are one. Yes, no? Yes. What was the question again, sorry? How many teams play in which area? Uh, Just name the other two teams in California that aren't the LA teams. Are you up to you? Uh, Golden State. Oh. Uh, Might have to pass it on to Ricardo. This is a very easily Googleable question. Yeah, we'll try. Oh, I'm going to be wrong, but we'll try. Atlanta Hawks, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, Atlanta and Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the team you're looking for is the Sacramento Kings. Just a couple oh. of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, they, and away it goes. Are they, are they still in it, mate? <laughs> they still in Very oh. rarely. Very rarely. Hugh Baden, if you're listening to the show today, I'm very sorry. Yes, Sacramento Kings are still in it. Actually, they're doing all right this year, Ricardo. They're not doing too bad, the Sacramento Kings, but that does mean, Jade, unfortunately, you're stumped. Back to the pavilion today for you. And, of course, Ricardo, that means... We'll jackpot to $100 tomorrow. Yeah, 100 bucks uh, tomorrow. Jade, is there anything that you're liking the look of uh, today in any of the any of the markets? Or where, I mean, if you'd won this, where would you have put it? Uh, if I had won, I probably would have gone. I heard that Kempi's horse is paying like 3 bucks for a place. Yep. Well, that, that would have been nice if he was paying 3 bucks a place. I probably would have gone for Cinerama this weekend at the races, mate. Yeah, that's not it's not a bad shout. I mean, I, hopefully it finds up a bit because I don't know that it likes it too heavy. So we'll, we'll have to see what what happens. Did you did you hear Louis' uh, uh, tip uh, in the Love Racing update earlier? No, I, I didn't, mate. But I know, well, just in regards to Cinerama, it's it's still a win. It, it ran not too bad in its last one, it, and I was paying pretty bloody good money for a place too in that last race. If, you, if you've got uh, Spear Fiverr kicking around in the old TAB account, uh, Hastings today, race eight, Mohawk Brave is in from 750 to 480. That was Louis. Race eight, Mohawk Brave. Yeah, that was Louis' punt. Was that for a place or for a win? Uh, 480 for a win, I think it's two bucks a place. All right, then we'll chuck what I've got left on the ring. Yeah, good luck to you, Jade. Go well, mate, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, eh? Thanks, Ricardo. Have a good day, mate. Yeah, no worries, mate. Will do. There you go. That has been stumped for today. We will do that again tomorrow at 11.30. Make sure you tune in to SENZ every Sunday from midday. Uh, Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed is on from then, and it's hosted by two guys who, man, what they don't know about dogs, you could ride on the back of a postage stamp. Mark Rosanowski, Dan Roberts, they host that show. Uh, you don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. And uh, for, don't remember, tomorrow... 
I just say, don't forget that tomorrow we uh, are going to be raising funds for four New Zealand charities. Ours here is Women's Refuge, all thanks to Greyhound Racing New Zealand. We'll have a tip for you tomorrow uh, on the dogs for the week. And uh, we'll get that out and uh, hopefully we can back it and, uh, and bring some bank in, Logan. Yeah, because in uh, one of those... <laughs> Uh, SNZ Mornings is not doing too great to the point that it's not even in three figures. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 I don't, I don't really want to talk about that. But what I do want to talk uh, about is uh, your multi for today because uh, some people may may have missed it. People mm-hmm. can still get in on it. Yeah. Uh, for today, uh, of course, you went for a double there in in Dallas. A couple of Dallas teams: the Dallas Mavericks and the Dallas Stars, who are playing. My Toronto Maple Leafs, and mm. you asked me about this. How did I feel about it? Yeah. And you're going against my team, and the odds between the two, there's this like minimal sense between the two. And it's, it's a dollar eighty three versus a dollar ninety, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh so not a lot in there. And I mean for very good reason. It's in Dallas. Uh, Dallas are good at home, but Toronto are also very good on the road. You have Jason Robinson who is on a I think an eighteen game point streak. He leads the league in goals. Uh, he's a, having an incredible season, the young man. And then Mitch Marner on the other side of things is on a 19-game point streak, which is now a franchise record for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, he broke that in the last game. So, I mean, either way, <laughs> there's a couple of game breakers there alone, but there's some really heavy hitters on both sides. So I don't know, man. I mean, I I want to say the Leafs will win, but of course, I mean, it's just it's so hard to split those two teams. So... Yeah, yeah it's, have, so it's okay. going to be tight. The other the other half of that uh, Dallas double was the, the Mavs to beat uh, what to uh, the Mavs going up against the Nuggets today. It's in Denver, and um, I've taken the Mavs with a f- uh, with um, plus five points, so they can still lose up to five points, and uh, and the bet comes in. That's paying a dollar ninety. When Luka Doncic is on your team and he's averaging thirty four points a game, I think that's not a bad bet. It's not, but Denver, I mean, they're one of the better teams in the league this year as well. So, Yeah, it's going to be tight. It's going to be tight. I, I mean, uh, you don't, you're not going for the double figures today. Well, what is it? No, I came in at 11.30. Oh, I got boosted. That's right. Yeah, yes, uh, with um, Divine, the yeah. uh, top run scorer. But, yeah, man, you're having a decent run on the uh, multis. Like uh, BP said, <laughs> Smithy might have to up his game a little bit. Well, we'll ask him about that when he comes on because he's not too far away. We're going to call Smithy, and he's going to be on with us after the latest in news and sport. If you've got a question you want me to put to Smithy, double eight double three, double eight double three, the temper bedpost uh, text machine. Get in now while you still can. Here's the latest in news and sport from Aroha. It may no longer be the definitive version, but it is the original version. Uh, John Denver Country Roads, uh, a song to bring you in, Smithy Mate. How's Adelaide? Listen here, that Craig Hutchinson's got a lot to answer for, mate. <laughs> I mean, he, he just said, do you have a song? Do you have a song that you know the words to, basically? I said, well, I know Country Road because uh, my son was in West Virginia for four years. I uh, went to watch him play football, and before every game, they play Country Road, and after that, they, uh, they play it as well, Take Me Home. So uh, he said, oh, OK, well, m- maybe about 10 minutes later, I'm up there singing it, and now other people know. It's, I mean, he's got a lot to answer for. He does, mate. Actually, uh, all seriousness, though, you've got a great voice. I, 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 I had no idea. No, mate, I haven't. Look, uh, my voice, no, it's nothing like Izzy's or, or uh, has beautiful voice. No, I'm, I'm, mate, that was, that was, that was a one-off, and you know what one-offs are, Ricardo? They're one-offs. Yeah, they're unique. They're unique. 
for, for being for being one offs, mate. <laughs> for being one offs. How's how's Australia treating you, mate? How was that first test over in WA? Hey, listen, you know, I'll be honest uh, with you, Ricardo. I, I spoke to a lot of people going into that test match. Some had booked flights home about two days earlier because they thought the West Indies wouldn't have enough uh, grunt in them to, to test Australia. Well, they're all cancelling and rescheduling very quickly because that West Indies side showed a lot of spirit and the first test match was, you know, it was they took it as deep as they could. Uh, you know, they're not, a, they're not as good a cricket side as Australia. Man for man, nowhere near it. Uh, but man, they got a lot out of it, a lot out of it, and uh, I think they played very well. Yeah, they did. They did. they played really well. Uh, they, like you said, a lot of spirit, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in Adelaide because there might be a few changes in this Australian team. I, I noticed uh, there's a guy by the name of Lance Morris who we don't know too much about here, uh, but it's been called into the uh, squad because there's some doubts around Pat Cummins. Well, I, I wouldn't have thought if I if you looked at Pat Cummins run around the field on the fourth afternoon and the fifth day you would have thought he's no chance of playing, particularly bowling. I mean, he's not a, he can't make the side as a batsman. Um, so I would have thought uh, on what I saw there, I mean, the guy could have hardly been down. He stopped the ball with his foot. Uh, he only l- really leisurely jogged after anything in the outfield. Uh, and, man, all of us, there was consensus in the commentary box that there's no way when a guy looks that lame uh, that he can front up three to four days later and bowl with a new ball in a test match. So... I'll be staggered. I mean, it'd be a miracle of modern science if Pat Cummins is able to run in with the same gusto that he's normally got uh, come a test match, which is starting here tomorrow afternoon. Uh, On that, has there been much talk around David Warner's future in the test team? Because uh, he seems to be... He didn't have a great T20 World Cup, and I know that's not test, but, you know, when everybody else was dining on the uh, West Indies attack in that first innings, he was out for five. He seems to be really struggling at the moment, and he's certainly not getting any younger. No, he's not getting any younger. In fact, David Warner has intimated that this could well be his last test series at home. He wants to go to England next year, he said, and play in the Ashes. Um, and that would be, um, that might well be his swan song. So, um, so I, Australian people may be seeing him for the last time this summer anyway. I don't envisage, unless he had a terrific run of form going into the next uh, two test matches and couldn't buy a run at all. Um, I, I, I'm picking David Warner will score um, a, a century in this this, uh, this summer. I, I think you know he's Manus Labuschagne has a lot of luck, an absolute truckload of luck. And in fact, Mike Hussey did a, a study during the Test match series. One of the luckiest modern day batsmen. Uh, you know, he just gets dropped a lot. He plays and misses a lot. He, you know, um, you know he he. It's just uncanny. I mean, he's a fine player, but he's uncannily lucky. David Warner made two mistakes in that test match without twice. Uh, so, you know, it, it can it can run with you. It can run against you. Uh, uh, David Warner, they, they won't be getting rid of him in a hurry. I can promise you that. So uh, there's been absolutely nil talk that he won't be making the side at this point. Okay. All right. That's interesting, mate. Uh, we, we also saw a great test match between the Poms and the and Pakistan. Basball to the four. Uh, what did you make of that? I thought it was remarkable, absolutely remarkable. One, uh, we were criticising the fact um, a number of us were saying, well, is that good for Test cricket? Is a pitch that good, that good, is it good for Test cricket when the bowlers can't be a factor in it? That was after days, what, one one and two, when they, they, they bulked up so many runs in such a hell of a hurry. Um, and, and, you know, people at that stage are saying, this is terrible, absolutely terrible. How can they possibly get a result? They'll be there for two weeks, not one week. 
um, and, and as this team turn around and win the uh, win the game, um, I would be thinking of the test matches that he's won so far as coach for England because of just how hard it is to go to Pakistan and get a win. He might rate that as one of the best uh, of of the what seven or eight victories that he's had in, almost in a row. So. Uh, I was in contact with him uh, quite a bit throughout that test match, and you know he he was his his language his texting language is just so positive. You know we can win this, we 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 can win this. We uh, the plan is to do this, to do that, to do this, to do that, and it was all going forward, and it was all about winning. Um, and you can see it, it. I mean, he convinced me. He convinced me they could win. And I didn't think they had any chance on that pitch. So you can imagine what he's doing in the dressing room. Staggering test match. Um, and full of so much drama with the light closing in. And, you know, and um, only really being able to bowl one more over of, of quick bowlers before they had to revert to the spinners. And then Jack Leach getting the last wicket when you, you couldn't, uh, when, when the other guys could not get it. Jack Leach sneaks one through and gets an LBW. Man, it was full of drama, and it was beautifully portrayed. Yeah, it was really, it was really well done. It was a great advert for Test cricket, mate. And it begs the question: How are the Black Caps going to go when they go up there? Because uh, they're not too far away, and this Pakistan side look pretty good. Yeah, they do look good. Uh, they were down on numbers, Pakistan. They had three debutants, and um, you know they uh, they'll bat big against New Zealand. There's no doubt about that. Depends on the surfaces they provide. Um, will they change the kind of um, pitches they they they'll need to play? They'll need to produce a, a, a result-making pitch to get back in the series with England at some point. So they they can't afford to continue to pick to to make roads. Uh, New Zealand will struggle a wee bit, I think. Um, you know, oh, oh, I, I'm not quite sure if we've just peaked a little bit in Test cricket. Maybe we have, maybe we haven't. Um, but I. Oh, it's going to be a lot harder without Trent Bolt on the side. How are we going to get them out? Um, you know, are we going to be able to spin them out? Not sure. Uh, I, I think, as always, when we go to Pakistan or where we play Pakistan, wherever it seems, uh, it's going to be, uh, we'll be underdogs. So I think it'll be very, very tough for us to win over there. Last time we were in the subcontinent, uh, Ruch and Ravindra played all three tests against India as uh, the, the all-rounder in the seven position um, and then disappeared once we got to England. The talk at the time was, you know, he's going to be our our test uh, bowling all-rounder when we're playing in spin-friendly conditions. Do you expect him to be back given he's been so much on the outer, or do you reckon that's going to go to a Michael Bracewell or is even maybe Mitch Santner back in the reckoning? Well, I haven't seen too much of um, Rachin Ravindra since then. Uh, I'll be honest with you, and I haven't seen his name in headlights either. Mm. Um, whether they've still got faith in him, uh, I think he's been on an A tour. Um, I, I really haven't seen him doing a hell of a lot, so I'm not quite sure um, they're going to do that. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure we'll play two spinners. I, I think Ajaz Patel has to go to the subcontinent and has to be a factor. I mean, last time he was there, we know what happened. He got 10 wickets. So, uh, look, um, he is just... He is the given spinner, and then it's a case of uh, your batting resources. We always tend to play go uh, play an insurance policy when it comes to the batting. We like to bat deep and uh, have an extra player just in case. Um, you know, so oh, I don't oh, look. I, I wouldn't quite know um, to be perfectly honest. Whether I mean, Stanton to me is is not going to bowl Pakistan out in Pakistan. He might bowl you some cheap overs. Uh, he might buy you some time for the seamers, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't be in mine. He wouldn't be in my starting lineup to play against Pakistan, and I'm not quite sure 
to be perfectly honest, uh, whether Michael Bracewell would be either. I don't see him with his uh, limited spin bowling experience being someone that can knock Pakistan over e- either. So uh, then you're looking at, um, would you risk Ish Sodi? Would you play Ish Sodi? He seems to have got confidence back out of the T20 World Cup. He had a terrific T20 World Cup. Um, but would you risk him uh, against Pakistan over there? So there is a question mark uh, about that and, and who we who we'd definitely go with as a second spinner if indeed we use one. Mm. All right, Smithy. Hey, before I let you go, I did ask uh, people to text through because uh, people are always wondering where you are and when you're back. Uh, if they had questions for you, most of them were around punting and if you got any horse tips. But um, we, did, <laughs> we did have Dermot text through and ask uh, why Smithy never coached. I did actually. I coached one season out of uh, retiring. I coached Auckland, and I hated it. Um, um, I, I just was probably way too soon at that point. I was, I, I was I was in a dressing room where I just walked out as a player and come back in as a coach. So it's very hard for the players to respect me as a coach and and for me to um, to um, you know to get through as a as a coach to the players because you know they're all my mates and. Uh, you know, it was pretty hard to sort of thing. In hindsight, it was way too soon. Um, didn't, I don't know if I enjoyed it, to be perfectly honest. I, I, there's something about, I don't know, Ricardo, there's something about an air-conditioned commentary box with a cold drink and, and someone serving you a cup of coffee every now and then. That, that just appeals a wee bit more. I get you. I get you, mate. I totally understand that. I totally understand that. Smithy, thanks for uh, coming on, mate. Enjoy the rest of your time in Oz before Christmas and uh, safe travels. They go well. Cheers, Ricardo. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Ian Smith there with us, uh, the man who showed this is, of course, uh, he will be on commentary on Fox for that West Indies Australia second test starting tomorrow. We are 16 away from midday. It's 11 away from midday here on Mornings with Ian Smith and coming up for you after midday is the Rural Roundup with Andy Thompson and Andy's uh, with us now. Andy, all the talk uh, for us really has been around the Football World Cup and potentially around where Scott Robertson goes now that uh, Eddie Jones is being sacked as England coach. Uh, have you have you got any mail from uh, from your rural friends? No, mate, I, I haven't, although um, it's a, certainly a big topic of uh, conversation as to as to where we end up with that one. But um, I just know where I want Scott Robinson to be. I don't want him to go anywhere else. Uh, if he can't, you know, I want him to stay with my beloved Crusaders or else uh, coach the All Blacks. So uh, end of story. But I'm a bit selfish when it comes to that, to be fair. Yeah, I, I just wonder whether or not New Zealand rugby have learnt the lessons of the last World Cup. You know, they waited till after the World Cup to make a decision. And by then the cupboard was bare and they really only had one choice. I mean, it seems like everybody else is already lining up their coaches for 2024 and onwards. Hey, Ricardo, since when did New Zealand rugby learn any lessons? <laughs> Mate, honestly, we've been watching them for the past, well, I've been watching them for the past 40-odd years, 50 years. Um, and uh, I haven't, since they've gone professional, I think they've got worse. They've gone more insular. Uh, they just want to do status quo. They, they, they got less and less uh, communication. I don't know. I just, I just think it's appalling, quite frankly, the way that they're handling things. And they just don't listen to the fans. I suppose, why should they, right? They've got their own procedures and policies and whatever but I think the fans have been pretty right over the past few years if you have a look at it. Yeah mate, well not only that but uh, a certain Warren Gatlin yesterday saying that raises the man that certainly hasn't helped his old mate Ian Fosler. <laughs> no, certainly hasn't helped Fozzie. Well, I don't blame Fozzie. You don't blame anyone that gets given a job. Hell, someone gave me a job to host a royal radio show. That's not, you know, you just you just do it. But you do it to the best of your ability, don't you? And you get given a job, you go. Um, but 
actions speak louder than words. You have got to have a look at the results. And unfortunately, you just got to say that when you look back on 2022 as an All Black, is there anything memorable? One game in South Africa and a draw in mm. England. That's it. Yeah. You know, so what an appalling year. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not been great, mate. It's not been great. Um, no. But, hey, look, um, Football World Cup, I just want to say, mm. I haven't seen the full Brazil game the other morning, but the highlights I saw, it just filled me with joy to watch players on the World Cup stage, quarterfinal, uh, round, sorry, round of 16, playing like they were playing in the backyard out in the street. It's 100%, mate. We haven't seen a Brazil team play like that for a long time. Um, I, I kind of got to the point where I actually wanted Brazil to lose games because I hated the way they played, um, because everybody would eulogise over how great Brazil were with memories of 1970 or 1982, but that wasn't the reality of what we're seeing. But now we're seeing it again. Yeah, just like those little little chip kicks, those little one-twos through the box, It's and and the skill and the intricacy of it, and, and I've got Brendan Telfer on the show actually talking about it um, and his thoughts on it, and um, you know I'm going to be really interested to see what he has to say, but uh, look, I'm really looking forward to it. The only thing I would say as well, I don't think it's coming home. I really don't. I think no. England are toast. I think France are going to just roll them over. Yeah, I, I agree, mate. I agree. I, I'm, I've got a Brazil-Portugal final. That's where I am at the moment. But we yep. will see. What else you got coming up on the uh, Rural Roundup today? Uh, well, on the show, we're going to um, we're going to wrap up the um, we're actually going to wrap up Field Days. We've got some uh, chat with Peter Nation. He's the CEO of Field Days. Uh, Brian Gibson. He's the um, Ravensdown Communicator of the Year. He just uh, won that award from the Agricultural Guild of Journalists and Communicators. Uh, and we're going to talk to a guy from uh, FMG. Theft on farm, Blair Shortall. Theft on farms over Christmas is a massive, massive problem. Uh, just a few trips, uh, tricks and tips to make sure you don't lose your toys because uh, we don't want to lose our toys when we come back from holiday. So, uh, yeah, plenty on the show today. No, good stuff, mate. Looking forward to it. Go well. Have a great show. Thanks, mate. Don't worry. It's Andy Thompson there with the Rural Roundup. That is running from midday to one everywhere. Uh, on the SCNZ network except for Auckland and Wellington because Auckland and Wellington will be Stephen McIver in for staff and he's in next. Couple of minutes away from midday and uh, when that happens when, uh, we've got uh, the man himself Stephen McIver in the hot seat. Hey mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. It's Wednesday. It is Wednesday. <laughs> Halfway through the week. A big show? Big show. Yeah. Uh, before one o'clock we'll talk to Ryan Fox cool. uh, who finished the year on the in the world golf rankings at 29 playing a thing called the Super Super Six Golf Tournament out at the Royal Grange, uh, Royal Auckland and Grange this weekend. Well, you'll find out a little bit more about that cool. uh, later on. Glenn Ashby is the uh, former one of the former team. Well, he's, he's still an Emirates Team Museum. He's trying to break the wind-powered land speed record, which is 202.9 kilometres an hour on the Salt Lake of Lake Gairdner in South Australia. Uh, you'll be surprised what Horonuku they call uh, can actually do, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to be a spoiler on that one. So okay. we'll we'll talk to Glenn uh, between one and two this afternoon. After two, Marcus Armstrong, the latest New Zealander to make it three, who will be racing IndyCar next year, but he just has turned up at Chip Ganassi Racing. Oh, just one of the best. And speaking of one of the best, one of our best doubles players and and good blokes, Michael Venus, between three and four, who's back in town to start preparing for the 2023 season. Plus all the normal things with Sam and Kieran. So lots to. Look forward to. Yeah, fantastic. And you've got a midday madness as well. Yeah, the midday madness, I think so. I'm looking at Sam Knight now. It's going to be uh, your most memorable debuts mm. in sport. Can you? What's your favourite debut in sport that you can remember? I've actually got a couple I didn't think I could remember. And I know Sam's got some, so we'll set it up at midday and get going. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Stephen McIver in for staff after midday. Here's the latest in news in sport.